Hi, welcome to Jot Notes, a show where we dive into the world of books and the lives of authors. My name is Jenna Green, and I'm a YA fantasy author known for the Imagine series and the Reborn Mark series. I am pleased to uh, bring in our co-host and producer of the show, Miranda O. Oh. She is, is a contemporary chiclet author, author of the Chin Up Tits Out series, and she is the privilege and honor of introducing our guest for today. Hi, Miranda. Hello, hello. As always, I'm super thrilled to introduce our guest today. Two reasons why is because he's a fantasy author and he is a teacher. And um, my best friend Jenna is also a fantasy author and a teacher. So to have two of these folks on the show with me, I am just elated. So Zach Hagen, he lives with his wife, Claudia, and their dog, Flynn. Again, like I said, he is a fantasy author and a teacher. And when he isn't busy writing his next book or teaching, you can often find him walking around his neighborhood or up hiking in Hanging Rock Park with his wife and or their friends. So I am so thrilled to welcome Zachary on our show today. Hello, hello. Hi, you actually got a an old bio when you were still living in North Carolina. So the locations have changed, but we still love hiking. Hey, well, okay. So that was a, a good old a core memory that I just unlocked or, or relived for you, brought back to the future. Yeah. So where yeah. do you live now? Currently, um, we're kind of in a transition period. We're in Minnesota right now, okay. but um, I we're looking to possibly move to the Portland uh, area in Oregon. There are a couple schools out there that are looking pretty good for next year for, for me. I'm looking for a little bit of a change. Hey, that's okay. I think everybody's looking for a change over the last couple of years. It's yeah. uh, like the fact that it's been two years. You know, I haven't, we haven't seen people in two years and then you mm-hmm. start to see people and you're like, Hey, so what's new? And they're like, mm, nothing, maybe gain 20 pounds. I was about, that's about all. Yeah, that. that's about it. <laughs> all my Facebook oh my memories come up and then they're all like quarantine memories. Like, don't forget 9 PM. You have to change from your day pajamas to your night pajamas. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Memories. Right, right. Live in the quarantine. So let's dive into your writing. I I always like to ask kind of where it began for you. So where did this interest in writing and where did the fantasy interest come from for you? Yeah, well, I think as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be a writer and I actually have like proof that somewhere over here on my little desk in our laundry room, I have these two I'm not finding them. My wife must have moved them, but they're two little blue paper stapled together stories that I wrote when I was a little kid. Um, totally unintelligible now, um, looking back at it as an adult, but I think writing has always been something that I've wanted to do. Um, and fantasy, the first complete book series I ever read was The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And it w- it just was completely transcendent to me in my little second grader mind. Of course, they still are. I think you get more out of them the older you get because you can apply more life experience to them. But um, yeah, fantasy and writing have been sort of passions and cornerstones of how I've seen myself since I was a really little kid. 
And that I, I love when we hear about that, you know, sometimes we people stumble upon, you know, this chapter in life, and I think I'm going to become an author now and haven't thought about it. But then a lot of the authors that we speak to are like, you know what, this is just something that I knew I was going to do. I didn't know how mm-hmm. I didn't know when I didn't know what that path was going to look like. But hey, look at me now I've written XYZ. And it just mm-hmm. goes to show you that if like you have this inkling to do something in your life to like never give up on that dream, because like, if you can do it, if Jenna and I can do it, I mean, like, come on, I think anybody can do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that it does take a special kind of discipline to get through something like that. So I think there are definitely people who don't have the patience to do it, but I think that everyone has the ability if they want to, mm-hmm. but it has to be a want to. Oh, it for sure has to be a want to. It's, it's more like a, like a passion project up, up front, mm-hmm. like to begin with, right? Yeah. Like I'm not, I would never really decide to like retile a bathroom. Um, Cause like that stuff just doesn't, drive passion in me but hey to pour myself a glass of wine and to tell a story hey uh, that can happen any day even if it's 10 o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the afternoon like if i have a computer in front of me or a pen and paper i can i can i can can, we can do it (laughs) yeah i think you're right though the work part like it's fun it really is Mm -hmm. but it's completely balanced. It it is fifty percent fun, and you're like, ooh, and then they then a dragon comes, and ah. but the, <laughs> it is legitimate yeah. work. And there are parts where you would rather literally do anything than edit that chapter. Right? Oh, it's yes. way oh, easier to sit yeah. on your couch and eat a bag of chips. So you do need that that passion, that creativity. But some parts are not as much fun, and you got to have the the drive and the patience to. Oh, just edit that stuff. Yes. Yeah. I will say that the second and third books became easier for me. Um, well, I'm still working on the third book, but I think it became easier because then it's not just, oh, I really want this project out there, but now I have people waiting for the books and asking me, hey, when is the third one coming out? I've bought the second one already. <laughs> so when is it coming? Like, you love through. that pressure. You're like, thank you for lighting the flame under my butt, but like, just give me some patience. That was me in between my second and third book. There was like a really big lull, but I just kept telling people for, for me and my series, it was, I got to live through the ending first. And I haven't quite experienced that in my life yet. I'm not there in my life. So just give me some time. And, and then it finally came, but it does feel good when people are like, hey, I'm I'm ready for the next book. I'm ready for the next book. It means that you're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. So now tell us a little bit. Uh, Jenna and I have always kind of talked about inspiration. So what kind of books or authors inspired you along the way to create your own stories? Oh, goodness. Um, I think that... C.S. Lewis, of course, but then as I was growing up and getting a little bit more mature, um, my aunt, fantastic English teacher as well, um, fostered my love of reading along with my parents and she gifted me the entire um, inheritance cycle. Although it wasn't a cycle at that point. I think only the first two books were out when she started giving them to me to read. And so reading Christopher Paolini's work in Aragon and Eldest um, really 
sort of solidified, I think, that passion for specifically fantasy stories. Because, you know, I think for a lot of people, they use it as a backdrop. Um, but Christopher Paolini, the world is part of the story. Mm -hmm. And you can't escape the the pungency of that world. It's exactly where that story was supposed to take place. And I think that that's really cool. So world building became something that I wanted to get into. Um, and then you have almost the caricature of Lemony Snicket's work in the series of unfortunate events where it's just mm -hmm. like one bad thing happens after another, which of course happens in every book. Like that's how we create tension, <laughs> but... They're it's big, just they're so big, they're big yeah, bad things. <laughs> they're big bad things, and it's just like every it's very formulaic in the way that he writes it. That series, um, they have a new guardian, and then something bad happens there after they think it's good, but then it's not, and then Count Olaf is there, and so it's very formulaic. But it really built, I think, my understanding of what building tension was because he did the same thing in every book, but it just got more and more complex, and every book built on the last. Mm -hmm. um, and then even though I had a hard time getting through them, I think really getting into Tolkien was a good thing for me. Um, I wasn't in high, I wasn't until high school until I was able to really get into those because they are dense books. Um, but 30 pages is grabbing a tree. Woo, go Tolkien. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's a lot, but I think that he created an entire mythos around that. He spent his entire life world building and creating this incredible landscape. And I by no means have any thought that I have done that in my books. I have not. Um, but I, I feel like I've drawn from those influences to build a world that is uniquely itself. I like, I like that. And Jenna, you speak more about this with your writing, um, about how you create your world. I, I don't, I, I, that's just the type of writing or the genre that I do, but it is a whole layer of writing that fantasy has in itself or sci-fi has in itself. Like you're not drawing on an existing world or an existing realm, you're completely creating your own. And to me, that seems like a whole other layer of work and passion that, you know, it, it takes a special person to like really, really love that genre, really want to tell that story. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal. And now, it kind of segues into my next question. Um, you're a teacher. So obviously I, I, I put teachers in the creative soul category. Mm -hmm. Does your teaching influence your writing and the creativity aspect of your writing? You know, I don't think that I've seen that overlap to me. They're just, they feel like two entirely separate portions of myself. While I do teach literature, um, and I've actually taught my book to one of my freshman English classes. It's never really felt like the writer, me, is sitting in the classroom and vice versa. You know, I'm not thinking about curriculum when I'm writing a book and I'm not thinking about um, beautiful prose and 
world building when I'm teaching a lesson. I feel like they they complement each other, but there's not really an overlap. Makes sense. It makes sense. Jenna, does that kind of resonate with you? I know you teach a lot a younger crowd, but I'm curious if that's an overlap for you as well. Yeah, like obviously I work with the, you know, six year olds right now, but I taught middle school for a decade or so. Um, and I get what Zachary's saying in that it's not like we sit brainstorming story ideas. Uh, well, sometimes we do, but um, it's not like I something magical happens in class and then I go, yes, and I take that statement and I go write a story about it. But there is something about being surrounded by literature all day and just talking mm -hmm. about literature in general, even if it's picture books, um, you always have that creativity around you. And then, you know, like I, I'm reading picture books to my kids all day and then I go home and I'm writing like a young adult, new adult kind of novel. Obviously, the translation's not quite there, but you're still surrounded by language and, and you feel that influence of just having readers look at you. And, and so it's not always here so much as it's back here just a little bit. So there's like an influence, but it's hard to sometimes, sometimes pinpoint exactly like this person's word made the, it like it doesn't translate exactly it's right. i often find that later on like a couple years after i write the book then i see the correlation i'm like oh right yeah i think that i would definitely resonate with that as well because i will say the one time that i have sort of been inspired by teaching is when i was when i was teaching the my first book to my class and the thing that I kept on getting asked was, is there going to be any romance? Is there a love interest? And in the first book, there's not. There wasn't really room for it with everything else that was going on in sort of the setup. But from that point forward, um, there has been a heavy leaning on romantic subplots. And I feel like it, it definitely makes a story richer. And clearly it aligns with the interests of the kids and the people who enjoy the books. So, um, every time I walk by a middle schooler, they all shout at me um, to be in my next book and will I please kill them? <laughs> okay. I haven't gotten that one. Oh, yeah, it's daily from those eighth graders. So we'll have to work them in somewhere. I don't know how yet. That makes me laugh because but when I was single and writing my books, I would have like we'll call them muses going like, Oh, so are you going to, you're going to write about me? I'm like, just because you asked, no, you, 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 you did not make the cut. It's the ones that don't ask and like are lovely through the in and, and out the coming in and the leaving of the life. And they're wonderful. You're amicable. They, they're the ones that make it into the books for me. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk in a little bit more specific. So the eternal chronicles. So what is that series? about if you had to you know explain it to someone that's never read it you know i feel like i can approach that from multiple perspectives i think that you know because i'm starting to pull back from just one and two in the series and i'm starting to write or i'm halfway through the third one so in essence i am halfway through the series right now um eternal chronicles follows the life of Elior Barbadania from the time he loses his brother um, in a freak magic magic technical accident um, through adventures and meeting people that he never thought he'd meet from a cursed merman to a 
disgraced dwarven queen um, to dignitaries and political figures from all of the world's countries and both sides of the world. So, because it's a flat world with two sides. Oh, so, interesting. I have fun with that. You don't see that in the first book, but you get to kind of figure it out in the second book. And it's fun how I do that. I, at least I think it's fun. If I didn't think it's fun, why would I write it? <laughs> um, <laughs> but so we see him, and this is where like my, where the overlap is, because I'm thinking of themes. Um, a big theme in the series is grief and loss and how to deal with that in a healthy way. I want to interject with a question. Were you experiencing grief and loss when you were writing these books? Yeah. So initially I wasn't. I started my, <laughs> the first book as an assignment in my advanced creative writing class during my undergrad. Um, and I left it alone for about eight, uh, two and a half years. Um, I had the first 25,000 words and had complete writer's block on it and didn't know what to do with it. Um, I always said that I was going to go back and finish it, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, even when I would have like planning periods, I'd sit down and think, oh, I'm going to write and then I'd be distracted by something else because it didn't seem that important. And then um, I had a really, really wonderful friend um, get engaged and his new fiance felt that our friendship wasn't a presence that she wanted in her life and told him, you either marry me or you're friends with him, you can't have both. Um, and he chose her. They're married now, they're living their life. Um, but that was a really hard thing for me. And so suddenly Elior's loss of his twin brother became something that was visceral to me. And that pushed me back into the story and it became something where Elior had to grapple with that loss, just as I was grappling with the loss in my own life. And he figures out how to deal with it, although I'm not sure that he's always healthy in doing so. Um, but that's sort of the point. We create flawed characters because they make good stories. Well, of course. Yeah, they make mistakes. Absolutely. And I so think... we as humans, like real, yeah. real humans, we make mistakes mm -hmm. all the time, especially when we're going through something tough. Like I was just talking about this with my cousin the other day. We we're like, you know, when you go through trauma or something very dramatic and then you just, you're like, okay, Jesus take the wheel for the next chapter, or I'm just going to go with the flow, or I'm going to go where the wind takes me. Like you're bound to make mistakes or you're bound to ignore the red flags, or you're bound to make decisions that aren't the smartest until you're mm -hmm. in a space to take back control of your life. And, and for me during that period of going where the wind blows was like the best period to write in. Cause I was like flitting all over the place and experiencing a whole bunch of big feelings and mm -hmm. <laughs> making my mistakes and getting dirty. Um, it was, it was good book material. It tends to always yeah. be good book material when you look back. I, yeah. Definitely got a lot that. of good book material. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's a good lesson though. You said you started this and then you just kind of like, reached a point where you were like, 
it just not going. And, and, and I always, you know, people say, Oh, I got stuck. Therefore I'm not a good writer. No, it's either you weren't ready or the story wasn't ready. I tried to write mm-hmm. one manuscript like five times and I just, I physically, what I just wasn't in the right mental space or it wasn't right. And, and then I just had to wait for that, that time. Or, you know, I tried to be a writer when I was like 17 and it didn't go so well, probably because I hadn't yeah. experienced anything. <laughs> yeah i i so align with that because i have a pile of like five or six thousand word unfinished manuscripts that will never see the light of day they're not stories that i feel like i can tell anymore because i think that i was just trying to come up with something that i thought would sell rather than something that you were passionate like i could write yeah yeah and that's okay. Not everything we write has to go to print. Not everything we write has to be for an audience. Not every like not everything has to be like something you just write. The the mm-hmm. idea that everything you write you have to follow to the nth degree. Like you're you're a teacher and and we talk a lot in in teaching about first draft writing. You just write some thoughts and then it just gets on the paper. Just get it yeah, out. Then, and then you're done with it. You don't have to edit it. You don't have to. You can just write a thought down and and that's cathartic and, and it's whatever it is. And, and you can just toss it later. Right. That's that. That's mm-hmm. what diaries are. That's what journals are. That's what just daily writing prompts and and maybe a tenth of them, maybe a hundredth of them actually e- emerge into like a larger story or a larger tale. And that that's fine. I've written so much crap that's never going to see the light of day. <laughs> and, and that's OK. Yep. Totally. For the best, right? Totally, yeah. So what would you say to someone that wants to write a, like a series, right? This that's a a, a a novel is a novel, and every novel goes mm-hmm. on its journey, but a series journey is somewhat different than it has a different journey. So what would you tell to someone that or what would you tell yourself if you had to go back and do it again? Because I know my first series, I'd mm-hmm. go fix some stuff. Um <laughs> Just a couple things here and there. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that I wish that I'd done, and now it's kind of too late because I know the world well enough that I don't need it, but I think that if I could have started over, I would have started with the series Bible. Um, And for anyone who's not familiar with that, it's basically like a binder with all the rules of the magic system and um, world building stuff political systems, everything, so that you don't get confused. (laughs) Um, Because, so I'm writing an initial five book arc. And there are some things in the first book that I feel like, okay, that wasn't super well developed and it could contradict with the second book. And I'm like, you know what? It's close enough that it still works, but I wish that I'd made it clearer from the beginning. Um, And I think but it's really important even for pantsers to know kind of where they want to end up with the series mm-hmm. because otherwise you have those incredibly long series that are like 50 books in with no end in sight, just because there's so much that you can delve into when you're just writing. Um, I think that that's really intimidating to new readers when you have interest in the first book, but then there's, 
15 or 20. Oh. Or... A little intimidating. <laughs> Slightly intimidating, um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to write a five-book arc, and that's going to be self-contained. I might do um, spin-offs outside of that, but I know exactly where the fifth book is going to end. I know um, that last scene I've had in my head for about a year now of exactly how I want it to end, and it's very purposeful. Um, and I feel like it's it's a good evolution of the characters. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say what it is, but I know exactly where they all end up. It, you write very similar to me in that I need a goal. I need an end post, and that's what I'm aiming for. And but Because if I don't have that, then I'm just you know, aim, like, what, what sport am I playing? Am I trying to get a basket? Right. What, what's happening? Right? <laughs> I, so, you know, oh, I'm supposed to be shooting the soccer ball? Oh. Right? <laughs> so I need, but I'm a planter, right? I know how beginning begins. I know when it ends. I think I have signposts in the middle, but then the characters take me all willy-nilly. But you need something you're aiming for. You need an, you need to kind of know where you're going. And, and I think I made the same mistake with you with my first series because I just wrote it. I was 17 when I started writing it, and then I rewrote it, you know, three or four times over the next decade, but I just sat and wrote and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a mm -hmm. fantasy author, what you find is if you do the sequel, then you're doing like weird reverse uh, research where you're going through your first book and going and, yeah. literally, and literally writing down, Oh, the magic system is this because in fantasy, yes, in historical, yes, in sci-fi, but fantasy, if you are not true to your own world, mm -hmm. that's where problems happen. They're okay. If you mm -hmm. make up dragons and magic and dwarves and elves, but if you say this about those dwarves and then you change it, that's where you run into dicey stuff. So we yeah. have to be very true to our own world. Yeah, um, for sure. I think that I even had to like go back to my first novel and check the spelling of a name for the second book. The ones that I used a lot, great. But then a side character that I didn't think was coming back had the perfect entrance and had made perfect sense in the second book and i didn't realize that that was going to happen and i <laughs> i wrote the entire second book completely misspelling her name and then i was going through the editing process and double checking and i'm like i have to go through and change every single one <laughs> <laughs> that's when control f becomes your <laughs> best friend <laughs> yes <laughs> i think i think i've been there that's where beta readers come in handy mm-hmm mm -hmm. yep I don't mm -hmm. have any, but I've heard that they're great and they would be very helpful. <laughs> I have one or two. Yeah. They are. My second series that I'm working on, I have a group of beta readers and some of them are authors and some of them are creators or artists of some sort. Um, and none of them are personal relatives or friends of mine because I love my friends and family, but they're giving me the, that good, like, oh, my God, that's such a great story. I'm like, but good, but I need, like, constructive. Like, yeah. I need something that will help refine this further. Um so yeah, it's uh, I'm a I'm a big advocate for beta readers, and I haven't even published my first book with a group of beta readers yet. So um, I'll I'll let you know how that goes when that comes. To yeah, you. yeah. I I love getting feedback. Um, it's part of the reason I decided to get my MFA. I think it's great. Um, I'm not putting my series in my workshops for my MFA, but I am putting an, another book that I'm working on specifically for school. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So just before we wrap up, I have two questions for you. One is you're, you're you know you're fairly young, and and what do you think your you know your career will be in 10, 20, 50 years? And then of course slide in where we can find that book. We want we want to all get it. Yeah. So um, right now I am doing pretty studied about two books a year. I think I'm going to keep up with that pace because I have plans after my first series is done. Um, so next year I'll finish it off. Um, I'm going to probably try to be hybrid and break into trad publishing with the book that I'm writing for my MFA. So 10, 15 years down the road, I'm hoping that I'll have at least, you know, 20 to 30 books out. Um, maybe more depending on how quickly I write. Um, some of them, if they're shorter, I won't have to take as much time on because yeah, if I write straight through, it takes me about three, four months to write a book because I don't like rushing. Um, my books are all available on Amazon. The first two, if you're looking for an ebook, they're on Kindle Unlimited. So super easy to check out if that's something you subscribe to. Um, and then the, the paperbacks are available pretty much wherever. They're in the Ingram catalog. So your bookstore, your library can order them for you. Perfect. And if they want to find you and find out more of you about you as a writer, um, is yeah. there a website or a social media that they can follow you on? Yeah, so Zachary Hagen writes, um, dot com is my website, and there are links to all my books on there, so that's easier to find if you don't want to go searching for it. Um, and then Zachary Hagen underscore writes on both TikTok and Instagram, and there's a Facebook page with the same name. Wonderful. Miranda's going to make sure she puts all those links um, below when this podcast goes to air. Um, just before we go, uh, a big thank you for coming on our show, uh, speaking to us about writing. Of course, my little teacher, fantasy writer heart, was just palpitating. Um, but Miranda was always fascinated by this stuff, so it was great for her, too. Uh, so thank yeah. you for coming on our show. Um, and just Thanks before we wrap me. up. Uh, oh, Yeah. It was a pleasure. It flew by. And we always it really did. When you have fun. <laughs> I'm always the mean person that has to wrap it up, but that also doesn't want to wrap it up. So I know, right? It's yeah. a conflicting <laughs> feeling every week. <laughs> Just before we go, though, we want to say um, a big thank you to our show sponsors. So thank you to Creative Edge Publicity and uh, the Writer's Corner Network. And um, our biggest shout out to all our viewers and all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye.